I don't know about you, but I kind of like it when patients come to the office with some medical concern and they've already done at least some background research or investigation about the topic at hand. That way, we can have a more detailed and educated discussion about her concerns. However, as with everything, it can very quickly go south. The other day, I was in the office and a patient came in who was a graduate student. So she's well versed in research and she was newly pregnant. After about six months of trying to conceive, she was quite happy of her new pregnancy state. However, she said, Listen, I've done some research. I, my mother told me that when she was pregnant with me, she had preeclampsia, high blood pressure. I liked how she defined preeclampsia for me. But nonetheless, and so she had done some research and she said, uh, And I found that some lipid lowering medication can prevent preeclampsia. So I'd like you to start me on that. So my first response was, wait a minute, you did research on the prevention of preeclampsia and lipid lowering medications is what you came away with? What about aspirin? <laughs> so in this podcast, I thought we would cover the whole issue of statin therapy for preeclampsia prevention. I mean, is that a thing? I know there's been articles back and forth, but where are we as of right now, which is March 2022? Now, the data moves fast, so where we are in March 2022 may not be where we're in in June of 2022. But let's take a look at the state of statins for preeclampsia prevention as of right now. Right now, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. However, even in these uncertain times, we will be certain to follow our life's calling to take care of the sick, the hurting, and those that demand and need our medical attention. This is Clinical Pearls. This whole issue of statin therapy for the possible prevention of preeclampsia really is a hot topic. At the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine's annual meeting on February the 3rd, 2022, this was actually a topic over lunch with the Meet the Experts kind of panel discussing where we're at in terms of statin therapy and preeclampsia. And that really is what got me thinking about this as a podcast idea. So a lot of that same discussion we're going to highlight here in this session. Preeclampsia complicates around 3 to 5% of all pregnancies. Unlike most major pregnancy complications, it can place both the woman and her fetus at increased risk, and its after effects can linger for decades in the mother, like the increase in risk of future major cardiovascular issues. It also places the child at risk, not just during the pregnancy itself, but it's also been linked to increases in the risk of chronic disabilities and developmental delays, mainly arising from fetal growth restriction and prematurity due to iatrogenic preterm birth. Only one drug as of 2022 has shown promise in clearly reducing the risk of the development of preeclampsia. You guessed it, it's not statins, it's aspirin. Currently, the best studied preventative strategy is low dose aspirin, typically defined as less than 100 milligrams or the typical 81 milligrams daily. And this is recommended for pregnant women at high risk of preeclampsia. And there's even a push to make aspirin universal in all pregnancies unless there's some weird contraindication. Nonetheless, questions remain regarding the optimal dose, the timing of therapy, and which specific population may benefit the most. 
Nonetheless, the CDC, the NIH, SMFM, and ACOG, and the initials go down the line, have always been looking for other interventions in order to more effectively prevent and treat preeclampsia and its associated sequelae. So that's where the interest to statin therapy arose. Now, before I get into the issue on statins, specifically pravastatin, that's been the most studied in this condition, we got to talk about why this even is a thing. I mean, why would a lipid-lowering drug have anything to do with pregnancy-induced hypertensive spectrum? Well, it's deeper than that because, as we know, things like pravastatin don't just improve the lipid profile. Yeah, they improve your lipids and your triglycerides, LDL, all that stuff. But it's deeper. It also has some biochemical properties. Specifically, it has favorable effects on the bad players that get kicked into motion for the pathogenesis of preeclampsia. So let's cover the pathogenesis here really quickly. Now, a quick disclosure. The whole pathogenesis of preeclampsia hasn't been elucidated, but we know a darn lot about it. And in order for us to really go through the step-by-step process of its development, it'd take like an hour on a podcast. And we're going to do this like in five minutes. So it's very high level, but it explains how pravastatin and these lipid-lowering drugs may play a factor. During embryo implantation and early pregnancy, the extravillous cytotrophoblast from the placenta invade and remodel the uterine spiral arteries in the myometrium. This creates a high-flow, low-resistance blood supply in the maternal compartment that can adequately perfuse the placenta and sustain the pregnancy. Poor cytotrophoblast invasion, however, leads to poor placental implantation, and that's the initial pathogenic event that gives rise to preeclampsia. Yeah, that's right. This whole thing gets started at the moment of implantation. That preeclamptic placenta then reacts by releasing excessive amounts of soluble factors that enter the maternal circulation, and there they create chaos. They cause endothelial dysfunction, maternal vascular injury, and then the result is hypertension. This is also a pro-inflammatory process. The presence of an increased pro-inflammatory response both in the placenta and in the maternal vascular system and oxidative stress is what leads to the end organ effects of preeclampsia. This is where medications like pravastatin specifically come into play. As pravastatin has a known favorable cardiovascular profile, in addition to its lipid-lowering effects, it has been a key player in research aimed at reduction of preeclampsia. Now, here's what got everybody excited over a decade ago. In vitro, the administration of pravastatin to placental tissues or cells can upregulate antioxidant pathways and can promote a favorable angiogenic profile by decreasing the secretion of those soluble angiogenic factors that trigger preeclampsia cascade. But that's just it. This is in vitro. And unfortunately, what we see in vitro as a biochemical test or proof of concept doesn't really pan out in vivo. Now, I think this is super interesting because I remember when I was a resident, shoot, when I was a medical student, pravastatin was in the old category system, category X. Now, we don't use the A, B, C, D, or X rating. In 2015, that was kind of done away with. The FDA now uses the pregnancy and lactation guide, but pravastatin used to be category X 
which said, hey, there's no known benefits in pregnancy and there's potentially risks. So it was like no-go, like chemotherapy is like category X. So this suggested that it should be avoided completely during pregnancy. Oh, but how things change because now there's a variety of trials that are still using pravastatin for its use to try to prevent this issue of preeclampsia. And the reason that it's being used is because the data for safety actually is well known and it probably should never have been category X to begin with. The reason it was category X is because it was fear that if it was used specifically in the first trimester, well, and to be honest, all throughout pregnancy because the fetal brain is developing all throughout gestation, and as the fetal brain uses lipid metabolism for its formation and development, that it could be potentially caustic, it could be potentially harmful like a teratogen to the developing CNS system. But that's actually not what's seen in the data. Wow, that was a lot of words. Look, I've got ADD, and sometimes even with my script, like my brain goes some places. I'm not even sure where that went, but I think they're going to leave that in there. But the whole idea is, even though it used to be category X, which really scared people, and it makes sense in theory. I mean, I don't want to mess with lipids because the brain uses lipids as it's developing in utero, so stay away from it. However, it's actually quite safe because the placenta may not actually transport a lot of privacy to the child. So let me explain that. A systematic review and meta-analysis back in 2014 in JOGC out of Canada concluded that there was no association between fetal abnormalities and prenatal pravastatin administration. That's great. Reassuringly, animal toxicology studies have also suggested that the drug is safe and it's not even detectable at or at even very low levels in the umbilical cord at birth. And the reason is, is that the placental perfusion studies have shown that there's actually an active efflux of the drug back out of the placenta into the maternal compartment. That's pretty cool. So short of it is, not category X. Yes, it's safe. Should be okay. But does it work? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Does it work in humans? Well, in the journal circulation in 2021, an RCT provided some disappointing results. In this multi-center double-blind placebo-controlled trial, they assigned 1,120 women with singleton pregnancies at high risk of term preeclampsia to receive pravastatin at a dose of 20 milligrams per day or placebo. Now, they started this at 35 weeks all the way up until 41 weeks. So that was the first criticism of the study because some said, well, wait a minute, if it doesn't work, which is what they found, spoiler, then why would you start it at 35 weeks? Well, the answer was because they tried to limit exposure to privastatin, but we now know it's safe, so probably should have been started earlier. Anyway, the primary outcome of this study was delivery with preeclampsia at any time after randomization. So what happened? More preeclampsia occurred in about 15% of participants in the pravastatin group and about 14% in the placebo group. Even using Cox regression models, there was no evidence of an effect of pravastatin for reduction of preeclampsia. 
nor was there any benefit in their secondary outcomes, which was a reduction in gestational hypertension, stillbirth, abruption, or delivery for small for gestational age neonates. There was also no significant difference between those who used the medication or placebo in neonatal death or neonatal morbidity. So according to this RCT from the journal Circulation in 2021, the authors concluded that privastatin in women at risk of term preeclampsia actually did not reduce the incidence of delivery with preeclampsia. Oh, but remember, this included initiation of medication well into the third trimester. So could the results be any different if it started earlier? Maybe, but it's not likely. You see, it's not just that one RCT, but it's all the other data that's out there that shows that privastatin in vivo just doesn't seem to work as well as it does in vitro. In 2021, a systematic review on this very subject was published with the lead author being Azimi, that's A-Z-I-M-I. But this did not include a meta-analysis, okay? So this is just a systematic review. On a side note, remember that most meta-analyses begin with a systematic review, but not all systematic reviews end in a meta-analysis. This systematic review was published in Pregnancy Hypertension. It included 12 articles with 136 pregnant women and 35 placental samples from hypertensive and normotensive women. Overall, they showed contradictory effects of statin therapy on blood pressure control as well as on biochemical markers. Now, on the good note, they found that statins were beneficial for patients with antiphospholipid syndrome, and in those patients, in that patient population, it may have a more predictive preventative effect for preeclampsia compared to its use in the general population. They also found that it may be, with the key words being maybe, protective against complications of help, specifically, again, in those patients with APS, antiphospholipid syndrome. So despite the fact that there's over a decade of data, mainly though from in vitro studies or very small case cohort or case series reports, more data is needed. Currently in clinicaltrials.gov, there's an active study that's ongoing that hopefully will give us a more solid answer as to the state of statins for preeclampsia prevention. This is an ongoing, randomized, controlled, multi-center trial that's set to include over 1,500 women with a prior history of preeclampsia. Now, to be enrolled, these women had to have not just a prior history of preeclampsia, but delivery at less than or equal to 34 weeks because of the condition. They'll be randomized to one of two arms at several MFM units sites. Study participants will be randomized to either receive 20 milligrams of pravastatin daily or placebo. The official title of this ongoing study is, quote, a randomized control trial of pravastatin to prevent preeclampsia in high-risk women, end quote. Now, even though the actual study date was back in 2019, its completion date isn't until 2026. So as we wrap this up, let's get back to our grad student. So I said, look, I'm glad you did this research, but you may be five or 10 years ahead of this issue of statin for the prevention of preeclampsia. And in all your research, how in the world did you miss aspirin? So we went down that track instead. So it's true. There is some data for statin use for preeclampsia prevention, but the data in vitro looks much more promising than what it looks like in vivo. So until we have a burden of evidence where that's an option, other questions will still remain. What's the optimal dose? 10, 20, 30, 40 milligrams? When should we start it? And should it be used alone or in addition to low-dose aspirin? 
These questions are being looked at right now, so stay tuned for more information. Now, wait, before the lead-out music starts, a quick note. Oh, I think it was about one or two years ago when on the oral boards, there was one of the reviewers who really loved to go after this idea of statin therapy for preeclampsia just to see where the applicant was at. So if you're asked on oral boards, well, it looks promising, but more data is needed, and we're definitely not there to make a universal recommendation either for high-risk women or for universal use at this time. All right, podcast family, that's a wrap. Plenty of things to be stressed out these days. But remember, take a deep breath, stay positive, and we never are guaranteed tomorrow. So enjoy the day. Remember, Carpe Diem. Yep, it was a great movie, and it's an even better saying. So Carpe Diem to you all, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. Clinical Pearls.